and welcome to the SBK Saturday Night Selections ahead of another pretty big Saturday of action over in the US. Not so much in the UK, but still there are winners to be found at uh, Lingfield. That's the meeting we'll be focusing on a little bit later on. We also have the Preakness. We're back on the Triple Crown Trail, albeit not quite crowning a Triple Crown winner this year because uh, Rich Strike will not be going with the Preakness. He'll go straight to Belmont for the Belmont at stakes. But more on that in a few moments uh, time. We are back once again for our third episode. My name is Luke Elder, and as always, my partner in crime is Tom Collins. Tom, how are you doing? Yeah, morning, Luke. I'm a lovely little backdrop you've got there in the in the offices. Um, yeah, yeah I, I'm very good. And you know what? I would have been a little bit better if you beer won the Man of War last week. But we got three out of four winners. It's an exceptional week for the podcast, and hopefully that will continue this week. Yeah, this is a competitor's background, so we, we won't go too much into that background. But uh, we'll, we'll we'll go straight to the disappointment because, to be honest, last week we, we didn't do too badly. But the disappointment was your beer, and it was a nightmare from the very second the gates opened. Yeah, the race just went didn't go to plan at all, did it, Luke? I mean, as soon as the stalls opened, your beer lost five lengths and immediately put him on the back foot. The fact that so high, who we build as the big front runner and the horse that was going to pan this race out perfectly for your beer and Gufo. The fact he was withdrawn prior to the start didn't help either. They went glacial early fractions. Your beer had to close into a quickening pace. He only was he only finished third best. Um, he was arguably the best horse in the race, only being beaten a length and a quarter, but that doesn't get us paid. No, it doesn't whatsoever. However, it does come off the back of a decent day at Doncaster because we put three up between ourselves and we managed to get three winners. Obviously, you was the one that let us down. But uh, building up to the American racing, we were we were nicely in profit. So we'll, we'll take that at the very least. Yeah, we were flying at Doncaster. We should have gone. Uh, we're three from three between us. But Mark, a big, big drifter for you there. Um, lovely price winner just getting up on the line. Sip and smile as well. We talked about him in good depth last week for, for SBK ambassador trainer George Bowie. Um, he, as I said last week, thinks he's a Britannia horse. Um, and what we saw at Doncaster wouldn't have put me off him for that race. And Fresh Hope, another big drifter. Good ride by Jamie Spencer. We got lucky in a couple of photos. Hopefully that continues this week. Week. or we actually just get winners who win by a wider margin that was no, lucky nice. i don't mind still it's never in doubt it's, it's all it's all actually <laughs> fine on that uh, one thing i will say every well every time both times we've recorded this podcast we've recorded it and then literally two or three hours later something's come out <laughs> and completely wrecked everything we had ethereal road come out the kentucky derby uh, rich strike comes in he wins it we had so high the only pace angle in the man of war last week he came out highland chief then goes to the front and scores um I don't know what's going to come out this week, but there, there has to be something. If it's epicenter, I'll probably cry, Luke. Um, as you mentioned, yes, I think Sohai, he wasn't a player, but again, the fact that he wasn't running completely changes the complexion of that race. And obviously, when you study a race, especially in the US, if the pace comes out, it completely changes how you look at the event. Now, I don't know about you, but I definitely would still put up your beer. There's no excuses there. But Highland Chief got an amazing run, just second on the shoulder of a barn, who was very disappointing. They went through the half in that race in the Man of War last week in 51.84. That's ridiculously slow. Last year, Channel Cat won the race, but through the half, they went 47.53. That's four seconds quicker. The race was just not set up for the closers. In hindsight, looking back, I wish I backed, uh, backed the likes of, of Highland Chief or, or maybe a barn because they were always going to be suited by the way the race panned out. Unfortunately, we, we both stuck with your beer and I was pretty confident we were going to get the four-timer, actually. But uh, look, this horse, will, this horse will pick up again next time. He'll, he'll go one better, uh, two better, sorry. People have been making excuses for him this year, um, including myself. I think he's still a very good horse. I don't think he's regressed. He just hasn't had the rub of the green. Yeah, first bombshell of the podcast. Tom wishes he could go back in time back a 20-to-1 winner. <laughs> I mean, yeah, fair enough. Me and you too, buddy. Uh, albeit, 
I will say I did put up the first three. You did, you did. You put up the, the forecast in reverse, um, which, you know, what? If you, if you bat the reverse forecast, I know hopefully a couple of people probably did on, on the podcast, um, then they're, they're cashing in. But uh, yeah, look, I mean, I'm not an exotics player, especially in a five runner field. Um, and I would never have had Highland Chief coming out on top. Great training performance, we should say, just before we move on from Graham Motion. Just a second run for Graham Motion since moving from Paul Coles. I thought he was a soft ground horse. He did get the ideal trip, but that was still a big step up on his US debut. Um, interesting where they go next with him. Yeah, to, to kind of change a little bit of what Morgan Wise once said. All the right horses, but not necessarily in the right order. But we, we can't dwell on that too much because we have got the Preakness to uh, look forward to. It's kind of a race that we have spoke about in both podcasts so far. Obviously, the Kentucky Derby, that goes hand in hand. And then last week, um, we didn't have the disagreement that I thought we were going to have, but luckily so, because anything that was going to be a real challenger to epicenter has kind of come out of the freeness and it's a potentially a weaker race because of it yeah shocking decision by the connections of rich strike in my opinion to, to avoid the race um kentucky derby winners not in there zandon who i loved in the kentucky derby you loved epicenter i was hoping that we'd see another battle here but chad brown has said that zandon's going to be missing the preakness and the belmont um which is another interesting move probably wise with him i think not so with rich strike who um is not gonna have any other opportunities to win the triple crown but there, I mean, no Mo Donegal this week either. No real contender from the ex-Bob Baffert yard, Tim Yakteen, Sean McCarthy, whatever you want to say right now. We've got Armagnac in the field, but I don't think he's a contender. Does that pave the way for Epicenter? Potentially, potentially so. But as we've done on both podcasts so far, we're going to do a runner by runner look at the, um, at the Preakness. I've got the most horses to look at. Tom, thank you for that. I've got five and Tom's got four. And I'm going to start with the, the one horse here, Simplification, who go back and listen to what we said in the Kentucky Derby. That still applies. But the Kentucky Derby run wasn't a bad one at all off the back of winning the, the Florida Derby. Uh, he came fourth. He came from the rear. Uh, generally, that would imply that he's a bit more of a stayer, but he didn't really get a passage through uh, in uh, that uh, particular race. He did travel really strongly. He just got going uh, a little bit too late. And with better luck here, Tom, I think Simplification can be a player. Yeah, he's definitely a player. Another horse that's a player is a number two, Creative Minister. He's a fresh horse on, in the scene. We haven't seen him on the Kentucky Derby Trail just yet. I really liked his works prior to his debut at Goldstream. And I remember WhatsApping you, Luke, because I was in the Sky Sports studio that day saying I was on a 14 to 1. He went off favourite and I was thinking I've got the best bet ever here. He finished second. He's won his two subsequent starts. He's worked phenomenally well again. Very intriguing runner in here. He's 10 to 1 on the morning line and could shock for a place. Yeah, if you're watching this on YouTube, just go back about 10 seconds and see the anger on Tom's face. And said he can... uh, number three is a horse who probably won't be finishing second. Albeit, after the Kentucky Derby, I am a little bit put out to say that Phoenix got no chance. But uh, was last in the bluegrass. He, he made a big back straight move, which kind of ran him out of buff. But he was also beaten an absolute mile. He did win a Tampa, beating commanding performance a horse who was fourth in the, the British Cup juvenile last year but commanding performance went on to turn those tables and run slightly better in the bluegrass um I'm not going to say no chance but I'm going to say yeah I'll, I'll be very shocked if he won to be honest but then I'd have said that for rich strike number four is secret oath and arguably the most interesting runner in the field she's the only filly in the lineup so only six fillies have won the preakness from 143 runnings the last one was swiss skydiver in 2020 Prior to that was Rachel Alexander in 2009. So they're not very often, they're not common occurrences. Secret Oath, though, could be a special star. She won the Kentucky Oaks very impressively, but she had pace to close into that day. Will she get that here? She's around mm. 9 to 2 on the morning line. Every single year, we get a horse coming into the Preakness who has completely skipped the Kentucky Derby, comes here as this being their setup. I introduce you to horse number five, early voting for Jose Ortiz. Uh, was second last time around when run down late in the War Memorial. Obviously, this is half a film, but shorter than, uh, than that. Uh, was behind, uh, say, Mo Donegal on, on that 
application. Uh, the trip, it ought to be okay. It's going to be no sort of, of issue for early voting. Yeah, number six isn't this. a pace angle. Happy Jack, he ran in the Kentucky Derby, but, but was right out of the back, finished 14th of 20. Slow start that day, never featured. Doug O'Neill's Colts entering this race was just a maiden victory to his name. Four subsequent starts in graded affairs. I've seen him disappoint. He's 30 to one on the morning line. This could be Rich Strike Mark three. Uh, Rich Strike Mark four might be Armagnac <laughs> for Tim Yakteen, uh, who is getting a whole plethora of big race runners this year. I don't know how that's happened, but he says uh, not too consistent regarding Armagnac. At his best, he's a decent horse, but he's running two graded contests so far. Uh, the San Felipe being uh, one of the things, the San Felipe Derby was the other. Uh, he's been beaten 27 lengths and 12 lengths when going into graded company. Much better last time around in an allowance race, but that was an allowance contest. He is, importantly, again, another pace angle alongside early voting. So we should have a good setup here. We should. And number eight is Epicenter. He could be the beneficiary of this pace setup. He's the horse to beat in here. I'm glad I covered the even numbers because I, I want to talk about Epicenter. Represents Joel Rosario, Steve Asmussen. I think this is obviously the Triple Crown's been the, the aim throughout. I think they're looking to make amends. They thought they had the best horse in the Kentucky Derby. They probably did. He should make amends in here. It's a weaker field. He's six to five on the morning line. If he doesn't go off odds on, I'll be staggered. Mm. Uh, Tom says he's kind of got the evens. He chose the evens. Um, <laughs> number nine and the final horse in the field is Skippy Longstockings. He's got a great name. I think this is a potential player at a big price, though. Maybe not to win, but to finish in a three for sure. Uh, he benefited from a suicidal pace at Gulfstream a couple of outings ago, where they literally just could not keep that run up. Uh, he was third in the, the Wood Memorial. Again, ran a storm of that day to stay on late and finish uh, third. He is a, a rapid improver, but... I wouldn't discount Skippy Longstockings at all. Do I think he'll be epicenter? No. Do I think he can make the three? Yeah, I, I'd say I'd say so on that. Which which leads us nicely into the, the whole uh, preness uh, race as a as a build up. We are agreeing on this. We're actually agreeing on everything <laughs> today, but we'll, we'll get to, to link to it a little bit later on. Um, epicenter. It's going to take a really big performance to beat Yeah, him. he was phenomenal in the Kentucky Derby. Now, I know he's been beaten, and to say something about a horse that's been beaten, to say they're phenomenal is a stretch. But he ran so well. He was sixth in the early stages. They went breakneck gallop. Mikhail Barcelona on Summers tomorrow in the UAE Derby, runner-up, went forward, went electric pace early, the fastest half you've ever seen in the Kentucky Derby. The fact that Epicenter was sixth early on there were five horses in front of him he was sixth, and he could sustain that effort into the straight was magnificent the five horses ahead of him in the early stages of that race the best one of them finishing position was 10th epicenter finished second it just shows how well he ran in the kentucky derby it was a closest race rich strike one from off the speed it was the biggest shock we've ever seen in the kentucky derby i'd be very surprised if there's another big shock here luke bigger shock than mine that bird I think so, but just purely not because of the price. Obviously, mind that bird was a bigger price. I think just the connections, the fact he was in 21, the fact he was a reserve. We didn't even know he was in the race till the day before. He was last. His speed figures were terrible. Like, I think it was probably the biggest shock in Derby history. Yeah, that's fair enough. I do love mind that bird. He was an absolute lunatic, much like Rich Strike, actually. Um, there's something in common there. One of the, the main dangers as far as the morning line in the market is concerned will be early voting. I think I said in the, the runner by runner, actually, uh, this is a half a long shorter, other way further. Um, but I still think he's up against it a little bit. I think he's going to just have a target on his back from Epicenter. Wherever early vote, uh, voting tries to go from five and Armagnac go from seven, Epicenter from eight, he's just going to follow them. Yeah, perhaps early voting is the wild card in here, the joker in the pack. He's only had three starts. He's definitely the pace. Chad Brown said in an interview earlier this week, actually, that they don't mind if they take a lead on him, which I thought was very interesting. I'd be shocked. I think they're going to go forward. 
His three runs to date, they've gone up on, up on the front. He's dominated two of them, and then he got chinned by Mo Donegal uh, in the Wood Memorial. That was a very good run. That puts him in as a player in the Preakness. But Mo Donegal was fifth in the derby, a race that would have suited him, albeit he got a bad draw and a bad trip. Early voting is going to have to take a step forward to beat Epicenter, who had uh, an even worse trip technically because of the early pace in the Kentucky Derby. I think Epicenter is the best horse in here. Early voting, if Armagnac doesn't go forward, which would be a surprise, but Irad is booked. And when Irad's booked on a horse, you always have to wonder whether he's actually going to send the horse to go forward or if he's going to do what he normally does and try to ride cool in behind the speed. If he doesn't go forward on Armagnac, early voting could get an easy lead. And we've seen at Pimlico before, horses that get an easy lead up front can dominate. It's a, it's a course that is a massive pace bias. Horses that want to be on the front normally dominate. Early voting is probably your most likely leader. He's the, most, the second most likely winner of the race. I just don't know if he has the quality to be epicenter. Yeah, I'd agree with that. And it'd be very easy to look at the race last time around in the, in the World Memorial and think, well, he's a complete non-stayer. He, he, he was caught late on by, by Mo Donegal. Mo Donegal's just a very strong stayer. It's kind of the other way around. I, I don't think early voting was stopping. Mo Donegal was just seeing it out a fair bit stronger. And there's no shame in that because both me and you fancy Mo Donegal for the Belmont. Yeah, we think he's a, a proper live player in the Belmont. He, he stays the trip really well. He'll love that extra distance. And he was very impressive in the Wood Memorial. I thought early voting got a great ride, but so did Mo Donegal in the Wood Memorial. They both had perfect rides up the inside. Early voting led. I think he stayed the trip perfectly fine. Look, he just got beat by a better stayer. It'll be interesting to see how he does in a battle because we're yet to find out what his guts and determination are like. Obviously, Mo Donegal just breezed on by. He was in eighth gear while early voting was in sixth. So it'll be interesting if they do get in a battle, him and Epicenter here. I, I, you're kind of betting him on potential, if you like, early voting, rather than the proven form, the proven speed figures, the proven horse, which is Epicenter. Uh, simplification, I mentioned when talking about him in the runner by runner, he was the first one we spoke about. He is a player I, I missed first time around, and throughout the first week, actually, watching replays, just how well he ran in the Kentucky Derby, because he was trapped behind a long way. Turning for home, he was maybe three quarters of the way through the field and about 15th. For him to finish fourth, he put in a really good stretch. Yeah, spot on. He was actually 15th um, throughout the, the early portion of that race, and he did close well from off the speed. We've seen at Goldstream that this horse simplification has a good turn of foot, and he stays the trip well. I think that race kind of suited him, but as you say, he was wide on the track. He could easily take a step forward. I think the Belmont is a better race for simplification, and I really hate the inside draw. I don't know how you feel about gate one for him. Yeah, yeah, I'm not a massive fan of it. However, I can also see him trying to switch out a little bit and taking a bit of a lead early on. They're the main players in the in the race. I, I said, again, in the runner by runner, I do think Skippy Longstockings has, has got a bit of potential. Now, the, the problem is, if for whatever reason, early voting doesn't go forward or Armagnac doesn't go forward, and they kind of crawl a little bit, then sorry, your bet's out the window. You're going to know in the first sort of furlong, two furlongs, if you've got a chance. However, I like how Skippy Longstockings has been slowly but surely coming along and he's getting there. Yeah, he's, he's a very interesting runner, isn't he? He's another new face on this scene. That race that he won at Gulfstream two runs back, I remember we both watched it and, and King Cab went off an electric gallop. It was a mile and eighth on dirt. King Cab went through the first quarter in 21.97, 45 seconds flat through the half, which is ridiculous fractions. It's like what we saw in the Kentucky Derby. So he closed well from off the speed, but the race was front to suit. He's an intriguing runner if there is a good pace set up for him. I'm not convinced that's the case. Um, but look, he's a big price. It's kind of factored into his price. If you fancy him each way, there are far worse bets in this race. Yeah, if he was on the board at, say, 8-1, to one, I, 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 could, I could leave him. But 16s, 20s, if he's around that sort of price, yeah, you can make a, a solid case for him on that. Anything of the massive prices for, for you at all? 
Um, massive prices, probably no. Obviously, we should mention Secret Oath in a little bit more depth, yeah. given yeah. she won the Kentucky Oaks. Um, she represents Dwayne Lucas. It'll be a phenomenal story, not only for Dwayne, but as she's the only filly in the lineup. As I said earlier, only six fillies have ever won this race. If she was to win the Preakness and she would notch her name into the Hall of Fame, she was very impressive in the Kentucky Oaks. But I'm just questioning that Arkansas Derby form. Two runs back. It was, it was her only run against the boys, her first run against the boys, and she broke slowly and then tried to quicken into a pace that just was getting quicker and quicker. That's not what you want to do in US racing. You want to make your move early or late. You don't want to be quickening into a quickening pace from off the speed. She could be marked up for the effort, but the race was won by Cyberknife. Like he didn't run very well in the, in the derby at all. He had, she has to take a big step forward from that effort to win. The Oaks was a deep race. There were like some net, the Nest was in there. Kathleen O was in there. It was a good race, but it's not the same level as the Kentucky Derby. And we'll see if she's a, an amazing filly, whether she's the next Swiss skydiver or the next Rachel Alexandra. I'm not convinced, Luke. No, my heart would love to see it. We'll see both. Uh, I thought her run at Oaklawn, as, as you say, when finishing third in the Arkansas Derby was a very good one. The, the move that she made just as they turn out the back straight, kind of in, into the home straight, was incredible. She could never keep it up. But as you say, she was running against the likes of Cyberknife that day. Good horses, don't get me wrong, but now she's taking on better horses uh, in the likes of Epicenter. So if she couldn't beat the likes of Cyberknife, then is she going to be Epicenter? Probably not. However, I'd love to see it happen and, and fair play to Connections for, for taking their shot uh, in this. But I think potentially the best she could hope for here, well, the best is probably second, realistically probably third. Yeah, I think she's probably a place player. I think she'll pick up the pieces. Um, I don't think she's got the class to beat Epicenter. We have to just touch on the fact that Epicenter is obviously coming back off the two-week um, layoff since the Kentucky Derby. If there's one thing that's going to beat him in this race, is the quick turnaround. He's got everything else going in his favour. The pace setup should be perfect. He represents a trainer who's won this race on numerous occasions, including with Rachel Alexandra, who we've already touched on, and curling. Steve Asmussen knows how to win this race. He knows what horse he needs to win this race. Epicenter's prior form in the Risen Star in the Louisiana Derby is as good as anything in this field. And the Kentucky Derby second was fantastic. If he's at the same level, he will win this race and he should be a short price favourite. But there is the slight concern. There is every year when we come into the Preakness that the quick two-week turnaround will be the, the downfall of Epicenter. Yeah, hopefully. We all managed to back Epicenter last week when we were saying that he's going to win the, the Preakness this week. But uh, if he didn't, I still think he will win. And also, we have a potential double for you. Uh, this week as well we, we almost went four from four last week uh your beer thanks <laughs> we, we, we me and tom before we, we do this podcast we don't compare notes we say right okay what do you fancy have a chat and then we try and convince the other one to to, to maybe fancy our own selection and go right you should put this in whatever bet you're putting it in none of that this week uh, i mentioned two horses to you epicenter being one of them and then one at lingfield and you went oh yeah snap I, that's that's my two as well so it's an easy week this <laughs> week well, hopefully, fingers crossed for the double. Yeah, we both fancied exactly the same horse. There's no surprise we both fancied Epicenter. I knew you'd fancy him before even the Kentucky Derby was, would be run um, that you fancied him for the Preakness. But uh, the fact that we both just picked one at Lingfield and that horse was in the same race and that horse was also Merchant Him, who is the, the selection for both of us, is quite intriguing. I think hopefully we can land the SBK Saturday Night Selections double here. Merchant Him in, is running in the four, uh, 545 at Lingfield. He is the clear standout. Luke, I'll, I'll let you make the case before I uh, build on that. Yeah, what I initially went into the race thinking, I'll try and take him on. Can't. I, I lost gold. I just cannot off the back of that. That's sick. But uh, last time around, it was an okay run. But I mean, it was a, a run at Chepstow, which it, it doesn't cover him in too much glory. Downsman, Downsman's a danger. He ran a really good race last time at, um, at Leicester to finish fourth. He's got a really awkward head carriage, though. He's mm. not got the nicest of, of way of going about things. And then 
you see Mercy in him last time around. He ran a, a lovely race at Windsor on a hat-trick bid after winning at Wolves and Kempton. He came on the wrong part of the track. He ran in the wrong part of the race. You had to be more towards the, the four. I, I just think everything went against him. And there's no way he should have finished second in that race behind Delectable You, who could be a pretty nice horse going forward as well. Flying high back in third, he's a horse that I quite like as well uh, for the Andrew Balding at Yard. And Tregony is a horse who had a pretty good season last year for the Clive Cox team. I think that was a strong race. As we speak, I'm currently looking on the board around two to one or, or so. If he's that price come race time, I'd be I'd be shocked. This is probably more a six to four, eleven to eight shot. Yeah, he's currently five to two of SBK as well, which is an incredible price. Yeah, exactly. Celebrations, the, <laughs> the fist bumps going. Maybe maybe we're celebrating a bit early. We, we have to watch him win first. But uh, as you say, like this is a weak race for the grade over a mile four. Lost gold completely with you. He's going to attract support because he, he's trained by Saeed Bin Saru, who is having a brilliant month. But his pedigree indicates he's a seven furlong or mile horse. He was impressive first time up and, and arguably on that form, he's well handicapped. But that Chepstow run was disappointing he also flattened out really badly late on maybe he needed the run but i think it's mainly the trip um that was his issue there merchant him definitely the horse to beat in here as you say i'm just going to repeat your case but he was a smart uh, sharp improver last year in handicaps on the all weather one by five lengths and two and a quarter lengths in these two starts at kempton and wolverhampton and that run at windsor like we can just put a huge tick next to that can't we he raced away from the rail um, any horse that raced away from the rail at, at windsor so far this season has just struggled especially in middle distance races I, I think it was a great return to action, and I really do think he's the horse to beat in this race. Yeah, a lot of them have raced against uh, away from the rail. They generally have one next time around as well if they they perform favourably. But look, that was a, a massive run. So mercy in him and, and epicenter. That's the SBK Saturday night selections double. Uh, hopefully, we're all cashing in uh, come uh, Saturday. We've got a bit of money to play with anyway uh, after uh, after last week with uh, with three from the four. Um, normally, we spend a bit more time on that, but we've only got one horse ring to talk about. So. <laughs> We'll move on to, to Q&As. Thank you, everybody, for your uh, your uh, questions and, and whatever uh, on Twitter. Uh, question one is from Steve. It says, as the Preakness is the shortest of the three Triple Crown races, do you want a front-running type? You, you've already touched upon this, Tom, but yeah. Yeah, the answer in, in short, Steve, is, is yes. Thank you for your question. As Luke said, Pimlico is just a speed-favouring track, no matter what kind of race we're looking at. If it's a sprint, if it's a, a route race, obviously we're talking dirt here rather than turf, though on the turf you still do want to be prominently placed if possible. And it's also because of US racing, right? The way races are run, you tend to see a lot more horses win from the front rather than those from, from behind. Um, they ride from the gates and, you know, without going into too much depth, front runners generally have a better strike rate. But Pimlico like Charlestown and I could list a, a fair few more Hawthorne you want to be up front early triple crown races especially I think races where you have horses of significant quality you want to be towards the front now that's not because you have deep closers that aren't as talented of course you do like some O'Donagall Rich Strike we saw win the Kentucky Derby albeit I'm not sure about his talent levels just yet um but like these horses that can go forward in these kind of races generally can sustain their efforts throughout and especially at the likes of Pimlico, I, I really want to be on a horse prominently placed. You don't have to look too far back in the role of honour to see Justify, American Pharaoh, both win from the front. Now, the last three winners of this race, Swiss Skydiver, Rombauer and War of Will, they were all ridden just behind the speed. So you don't necessarily have to be leading, but you definitely want to be in the first three or four. Yeah, I was just about to bring a list up and, and say exactly the same as you, but you've done that. Well done. Uh, <laughs> you just all my points on that. But yeah, you generally do. Unless Armagnac and early voting go like, 20 seconds flat in the first quarter uh, <laughs> but it could happen we saw similar in the Kentucky Derby but I doubt that will happen this time um, Jose and Irad 
they generally don't take each other on. They're, they're, they're kind of more, not team tactics, but you know what I mean. Brothers in arms. Yes, they, they, they really like each other. Um, <laughs> question two is from Sid. I like this question. Sid's my kind of guy. He says, how far will Epicenter win by? Now, this is an intriguing question because I don't want, I don't want this clip to be going all over social when Epicenter gets beat. Um, I, I reckon if I was a punty man and I've been forced to have a play in the distance market, I would say between two and a half and three lengths. I think he's going to get a jump on all of his uh, main protagonists. Now, early voting, of course, is the, is the one exception, but I'm hopeful that IRAD will actually be slightly more aggressive than some people may think on Armagnac. And then our early voting will be softened up and weakened close home. Epicenter strikes the front. I don't see any horse closing from behind that will make ground up in the straight to, to just erode that margin. I think Epicenter will have three lengths ahead of the closers in the straight and maintain that advantage. I would be playing two and a half to three, but look, I'll be happy with just a win. Yeah, I, will, I say Epicenter will win by further than a nose. <laughs> that, um, see, that's a tactical play. In hindsight, <laughs> I should have said that. <laughs> in, in a, a real-life betting world, uh, I'd, say, I'd say over two, but I'm not going to constrict myself as much as you did. Sure. But yeah, I'd, I'd say over two, but definitely more than a nose. Uh, <laughs> question three from Bland's Racing. This is this is this is a tricky one. It says, who do you believe is the most overrated jockey stateside? Now, um, this is a, an intriguing question, isn't it, Luke? Because our next are on the line here. Yeah, who have you lost money on, Tom? <laughs> it is exactly that. Now, I think with this question, what Plans Racing is asking is of the leading jockeys, the, the jockeys that people will know that don't necessarily tune into to US racing day in, day out, who are the ones that you would either avoid or you just haven't had the luck with. Mm -hmm. um, I'll, I'll stick to that because if we're talking Charlestowns or we're talking Will Rogers Thistledown, I mean, I could list a fair few because the, you know, the difference between good and bad riders is quite severe. However, let's talk about the major tracks. This isn't to say they're bad jockeys. I need to put that disclaimer out there, but two jockeys I'm not a fan of punting horses that they're riding. One is Mike Smith, and that's well-documented whenever <laughs> I go on. <laughs> Are you surprised? I'm shocked. Oh, my God. <laughs> Whenever I'm on Sky Sports, I, I say I try and avoid the Mike Smith rides. And he's been a fantastic rider. Obviously, he's a Hall of Fame jockey. I, I believe, in my opinion, he's now moved on from uh, riding at his best. I, I think he only tries in the big races. And I don't want to be seeing Mike Smith in a battle, um, apart from if I back the other horse. And then I will be happy with that. The other jockey, now, I think he's a very good rider, especially on turf. But I've had poor luck with recently is Junior Alvarado. Like, I think he's a, I think he's a very talented rider. I think he's very inconsistent. That's my one negative for him. Um, if he's on a good horse, he'll probably produce an incredible ride. But sometimes he can get stuck in traffic. He can be lost against the inside. Corey Lannery is another name to mention there, but he's, he sometimes gets the pace correct. And he's just a bit inconsistent for me. Um, I'm, I'm a, quite a trustworthy guy with riders. I don't put much attention on you know, who's riding what. But uh, if Junior Alvarado is on, it makes me second. makes me doubt myself. Okay, I'll put up to you. Um, you don't want to see Mike Smith in a driving finish unless you're alongside Victor Espinosa, uh, who I, I think he's a very good uh, North American jockey, and he has been over the years. Take him anywhere else. Uh, he's, not the, he's very whip-happy, is one thing. I remember once seeing him on a, a, a first-time out horse that cost, it was about two and a half million, and he hit the horse up the home straight with a whip 30 times, and he came fourth. Yeah, you never uh, want to see that. Never no, want to see that. When he when American Ferrer, I think it was when American Ferrer won the Kentucky Derby. From the turn for home, he hit him up. It was about 23 times, which is absolutely 
disgraceful. Yeah. <laughs> just put your whip down and push. I'm no jockey, but you can't do that. I, I'm not a I'm not a Victor Espinosa fan, I have to say. And the other one, I'm coming around him a bit more. But if you'd have asked me this a few years ago, and this isn't good because he's on epicenter, Joel Rosario. <laughs> <laughs> I think he, he's a guy who's had a very good last three years, but I think he's the guy that you want on side at the very, very top level. If he's riding around Gulfstream in a claiming contest and whatever, yeah, you can throw it in. But if he's in a graded race or a, a very valuable race, you want him on side because he, he probably is the best in, in North America. I'd have him at the moment anyway, just above the Ortiz brothers. There's not much between them. I, I'll say that, but Rosario is very good. And if you're at Gulfstream, just avoid Paco. Even if you're another rider, try and avoid Paco Lopez because he's coming for you. Um, but but <laughs> sorry, guys, sorry. That's all. I imagine they're all big big fans of this podcast. But um... oh, 100. I'm, I'm sure Joel's going to tune in before he before he rides up center. I, I think Joel Rosario is a very good rider. I have to say, um, he's very good on closers. Underrated on on horses that got up front. You know what? I, I would compare Joe Rosario to Correct. Jamie Spencer insofar as he's a very mustard rider. Like some people love him, some people hate him. Did I say mustard? I quite clearly yeah. meant Marmite. Uh, do, you like must- do you like mustard? No, I don't. Um, which is probably why I was thinking it. Um, <laughs> but yeah, like he, he rides very well when he's at his best, but when he's at his worst, maybe not. Um, I, I think he's a good jockey, but you'll see people on on social media um, mm-hmm. wrong wrongly so, but giving him plenty of stick when he produces a, a poor ride. Yes, yeah, absolutely, uh, on, on that front. Um, uh, good jockey, by the way. I uh, mean, Tom both think this. If you're ever at golf or betting at Gulfstream and you've got a horse that likes to go to the front, Amis Al Jaramillo, he's very good. So we, we do like people as well. Um, but uh, yeah, Amis Al Jaramillo, he doesn't really get the chance at the big, big, big meetings, but he's he's very good around Gulfstream. Yeah, he's an, aggr- he's an aggressive rider, isn't he? Is what you want to see if you're on a front runner. Um, also, so the people that are asking questions next week, ask us who our favourite jockeys are, because then we don't have to be negative about them. There's a little <laughs> Amisa Jaramillo, number one. <laughs> Flavian Pratt, like, let's go. Yeah, uh, that was the, the final question. Thank you everyone for sending your questions in uh, this week. We'll put out again questions next week uh, for uh, Twitter and we'll read them out on next week's podcast. Don't forget, uh, new SBK customers will get £30 in free bets by depositing £10. T's and C's to apply to uh, that. Uh, that'll be running pretty much every single week and we'll be back uh, every week as well. So Tom, just if you could tell us what our selections are, please, that'd be great. <laughs> yeah, I'll do, it, I'll do it for both of us. Obviously our, our best selection in the feature race, the Preakness Stakes of Pimlico, which is run just after midnight on Saturday night, 12.01 a.m. on Sunday, if you want to say it that way, is Epicenter. We think he's a good thing. Should get the perfect pace uh, scenario. Finish second in the Kentucky Derby. Definitely the horse to be. And our tip for Lingfield is Mercy and him in the 5.45. The step back up to a mile four is perfect. Switching to the all-weather. He was seen to great effect on synthetic services last year. And his reappearance run at Windsor was incredibly eye-catching. Perfect. That is uh, for both of us this week. And we agreed before comparing notes. So it's organic. But uh, myself and Tom will be back uh, next week. Obviously, we'll have the Belmont Stakes in the not-too-distant uh, future as well. But we'll be here uh, on the SBK uh, Saturday Night Selections each and every week. It'll be released Friday evening is when you can listen to it at the earliest, but Saturday morning is generally uh, when you, you've got a bit of time as uh, well throughout breakfast. But thank you for being with us once again. Uh, Tom, I will see you next week. Yes, thanks very much, Luke. Best of luck for your, your selections this week. Yeah, hopefully Epicenter can uh, land at the, uh, the Preakness and we don't get another shock as we have on the first two episodes of this. But until uh, next week, uh, thank you very much for listening. Uh, stay safe, look after another. Goodbye. Goodbye.